0: Chapter Five of The Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Neighbors. More than a week had passed since the scene in Malakoff Terrace described in my last chapter, a week spent by Mark in the drudgery of schoolwork, which had grown more distasteful than ever. Now he could indulge in no golden dreams of a glorious deliverance, for he could not accept his new prospects as an adequate substitute, and was beginning to regret his abandonment of his true ambitions with a longing that was almost fierce. He had gone down to the Woodbines, his uncle's villa at Chickbourne, in pursuance of the invitation given him, and Mr. Lightowler's undisguised recovery of the feeling of proprietorship in him, and his repeated incitements to pursue his studies, with unwearying ardour, only increased Mark's disgust with himself and his future as he walked along the lanes with his relative towards the little church beyond the village on the last Sunday in November. It was a bright, clear, frosty day, with a scarlet sun glowing through dun-coloured clouds and a pale blue sky beyond the haze above their heads. The country landscape had suggestions of Christmas cheeriness, impossible enough to londoners who cannot hope to share in country-house revels a la mr Coldicott, but vaguely exhilarating notwithstanding mark knew that his christmas would be passed in town with his family who would keep it as they observed sunday and refrain from any attempt at seasonable jollity yet he began to feel elated by its approach or the weather or some instinct of youth and health which set his blood tingling and drove away his dissatisfaction with every step he took uncle solomon had come out in broadcloth and a large hat with such an ecclesiastical brim that it influenced his conversation causing it to be more appropriate than sunday talk will sometimes be even amongst the best people he discoursed of ritualism and deplored the hold it had acquired on the vicar and the secret manoeuvres of the detested humpage in the vestry i was brought up a baptist he said and i'll go back to em now if i didn't know they'd all crow about it and they're a poor lot at little bethel too not a penny piece among em when we get into the church he continued you give a look left of the chancel close by the door where the shelf is with the poor loaves "'You'll see a painted window there, which that umpage got put up to his aunt. "'That's his ostentation, that is. "'I don't believe he ever had an aunt. "'But I don't wish to judge him. "'Only you look at that window and tell me how it strikes you afterwards. "'He's got the artist to do him as the good Samaritan there. "'I call it scandalous. "'There's no mistake about it. "'The air's not the same colour, and the eastern robes hide it a bit. "'But he's there for all that.' I don't relish seeing Umpage figuring away in painted glass and a great gaudy turban every time I look up. He's quite aggravating enough in his pew. If I chose to go to the expense, I could put up a window too, and have myself done. "'As a saint?' suggested Mark. "'Never you mind. And if I liked to be a saint on glass, I could, I suppose. I'm a church warden, and there's no reason why Umpage should have all the painted windows to himself.' but i shouldn't care to make myself so conspicuous umpitch now he likes that sort of thing this brought them to the church a perpendicular building with a decidedly early english smell in it and uncle solomon led the way to his pew stopping to nudge mark as they passed the memorial to his enemy's meretricious aunt he nudged him again presently after he had retired behind the ecclesiastical hat and emerged again to deal out some very large prayer and hymn-books as if they were cards. "'That's him, that's Humpage,' he said in a loud whisper. Mark looked up in time to see an old gentleman advance to the door of the pew in front of them. A formidable-looking old gentleman, with a sallow face, long iron-grey locks, full grey eyes, a hooked nose, and prominent teeth under a yellowish-grey moustache and beard. He felt a sudden shame, for behind Mr. Humpage came a pretty child, with long, floating light hair, with a staid, fresh-faced woman in grey, and last a girl of about nineteen or twenty, who seemed to have caught the very audible whisper, for she glanced in its direction as she passed in, with the slightest possible gleam of amused surprise in her eyes, and a lifting of her delicate eyebrows. A loud, intoned, Amen, came from the vestry just then, the organ played a voluntary, and the vicar and curate marched in at the end of a procession of little surpliced country-boys, whose boots made a very undevotional clatter over the brasses and flagstones. As a low churchman, Mr. Lightowler protested against this processional pomp by a loud snort, which expression of opinion he repeated at any tendency to genuflection, on the part of the clergyman during the service, until the little girl turned round and gazed at him, with large, concerned eyes, as if she thought he must be either very devout or extremely unwell. Mark heard little of the service. He was dimly aware of his uncle singing all the psalms and responses with a lusty tunelessness, and coming to fearful grief in gallant attempts to follow the shrill little choristers over a difficult country of turns and flourishes. He explained afterwards that he liked to set an example of joining in. But Mark saw little else but the soft, shining knot of hair against the dark sables of the hat and tippet of his beautiful neighbour, and a glimpse of her delicate profile now and then, as she turned to find the places for her little sister, who invariably disdained assistance as long as possible. He began to speculate idly on her probable character. Was she proud? There was a shade of disdain about her smile when he first saw her. Self-willed? the turn of her graceful head was slightly imperious. She could be tender with it all. He inferred that, from the confidence with which the child nestled against her, as the sermon began, and the gentle protecting hand that drew her closer still. Mark had been in and out of love several times in his life. His last affair had been with a pretty shallow flirt, with a clever manner picked up at second hand, and though she had come to the end of her repertoire, and ceased to amuse or interest him long before they parted by mutual consent he chose to believe his heart for ever blighted and proof against all other women so that he was naturally in the most favourable condition for falling an easy victim he thought he had never seen any one quite like this girl so perfectly natural and unaffected and yet with such an indefinable air of distinction in her least movement what poems what books might not be written "'with such an influence to inspire them. "'And then Mark recollected with a pang "'that he had done away with all that for ever now. "'That most delicate form of homage "'would be beyond his power, "'even if he ever had the opportunity of paying it, "'and the thought did not tend to reconcile him to his lot. "'Would chance ever bring him within the sphere "'of his new-found divinity? "'Most probably not.' Life has so many of these tantalising half-glimpses, which are never anything more. If she is Humpage's daughter, he thought, I'm afraid it's hopeless, but she shall not pass out of my life if I can help it. And so he dreamed through the sermon, with the vicar's high, cracked voice forming a gentle, clacking accompaniment, which he quite missed when the benediction came upon him unexpectedly. They came out of church into bright November sunshine. The sun has disengaged itself now from the dun clouds, melted the haze, and tempered the air almost to the warmth of early spring. Mark looked round for Mr. Humpage and his party, but without success. They had lingered behind, perhaps, as he could not help fearing, designedly. He determined, however, to find out what he could about them, and approached the subject diplomatically. "'I saw the window,' he began. "'That was the good Samaritan in front, of course. "'I recognise him by the likeness at once.' "'He took care it should be like,' said Uncle Solomon, with a contemptuous sniff. "'That was his family with him, I suppose,' Mark asked carelessly. Umpage is a bachelor, or gives himself out for such,' said his uncle, charitably. "'Then those young ladies, are they residents here?' "'Which young ladies?' "'In his pew,' said Mark, a little impatiently the little girl with the long hair and-and the other one you don't go to church to stare about do you i didn't take any notice of them they're strangers here friends of Umpage, i dare say that was his sister in grey she keeps house for him and they say he leads her a pretty life with his tempers did you see that old woman behind in a black coal-scuttle that was old widow barnjum keeps a sweet-stuff shop down in the village i've seen her that far in liquor sometimes she can't find her way about and has to be taken home in a barrow. You wouldn't think it to look at her, would you? I shall give the vicar the int to tell old John Barker he ought to stay away till he's got over that cough of his. It's enough to make anybody ill to listen to him. I've a good mind to tell him of it myself, and I will, too, if I come across him. The colonel wasn't in church again. They tell me he's turned atheist, and loafs about all Sunday with a gun. I've seen him myself driving a dog-cart Sunday afternoons in a pot-hat and i knew then what would come of that here we are again he said as they reached the palings of the woodbines we'll just stroll round to get an appetite for dinner before we go in uncle solomon led the way into the stables where he lingered to slap his mare on the back and brag about her and then mark had to be introduced to the pig what i call a handsome pig you know he remarked a perfect picture. he is a picture that needed cleaning mark thought "'You come down to me in another three weeks or so, and we'll try a bit off that chap,' an observation which seemed to strike the pig as in a very indifferent taste, for he shook his ears, grunted, and retired to his sty in a pointed manner. After that there was plenty to do and see, before Mark was allowed to dine. Lassie, the collie, had to be unfastened for a run about the grounds, of which a mechanical mouse might have made the tour in five minutes there was a stone obelisk to be inspected that uncle solomon had bought a bargain at a sale and set up at a corner of the lawn inscribed with the names of his favourites living and dead a remarkably scratched team, by the way then he read out sonorous versions of the latin names of most of his shrubs which occupied a considerable time until at last by way of the kitchen garden and strawberry beds they came to a little pond and rustic summer-house near which the boundary fence was unconcealed by any trees or shrubs see that gap said mr lightowler pointing to a paling of which the lower half was worn away that's where umpidge's blathering old gander gets through i hate the sight of the beast and i'd sooner have a traction engine running about my beds than him i've spoken about it to umpidge till i'm tired and i shall have to take the law into my own hands soon i know i shall there was wilcox my gardener said something about some way he had to serve him out but it's come to nothing and now we'll go in for a wash before dinner uncle solomon was a widower a niece of his late wife generally lived with him and superintended his domestic affairs an elderly person colourless and cold who however had a proper sense of her position as a decayed relative on the wife's side and made him negatively comfortable She was away just then, which was partly the reason why Mark had been invited to bear his uncle company. They dined in a warm little room, furnished plainly, but well, and after dinner, Uncle Solomon gave Mark a cigar, and took down a volume of American commentaries on the epistles, which he used to give a Sunday tone to his nap. But before it could take effect, there were sounds faintly audible through the closed windows, as of people talking at the end of the grounds. "'Mr. Lightowler opened his drooping eyelids. "'There's someone in my garden,' he said. "'I must go out and put a stop to that. "'Some of those urchins out of the village, they're always at it.' "'He put on an old garden hat and sallied out, followed by Mark. "'The voices seem to come down from Umpidge's way, but there's no one to be seen,' he said as they went along. "'Yes, there is, though. There's Umpidge himself and his friends looking across the fence at something.' what does he want to go staring on to my land for like his confounded impudence when they drew a little nearer he stopped short and turning to mark with a face purple with anger said well of all the impudence if he isn't egging on that infernal gander now put him through the hole himself i dare say on arriving at the scene mark saw the formidable old gentleman of that morning glaring angrily over the fence by his side was the fair and slender girl he had seen in church, while at intervals her sister's wondering face appeared above the top of the palings, a small dog uttering short, sharp barks and yelps behind her. They were all looking at a large grey gander, which was unquestionably trespassing at that moment. But it was unjust to say, as Mr. Lightowler had said, that they were giving it any encouragement. The prevailing anxiety seemed to be to recover it, But as the fence was not low, and Mr. Humpage not young enough to care to scale it, they were obliged to wait the good pleasure of the bird. And Mark soon observed that the misguided bird was not in a condition to be easily prevailed upon, being in a very advanced stage of solemn intoxication. It was tacking about the path with an erratic stateliness, its neck stretched defiantly, and its choked, sleepy cackle said, You let me alone now i'm all right walk straight enough I want to as plainly as bird language could render it as uncle solomon bore down on it it put on an air of elaborate indifference meant to conceal a retreat to the gap by which it had entered and began to waddle with excessive dignity in that direction but from the way in which it repeatedly aimed itself at the intact portions of the paling it seemed reasonable to infer that it was under a not infrequent optical illusion Mr. Lightowler gave a short and rather savage laugh. "'Wilcox has done it, then,' he said. Mark threw away his cigar and slightly lifted his hat as he came up. He felt somewhat ashamed and strongly tempted to laugh at the same time. He dared not look at the face of Mr. Humpage's companion, and kept in the background as a dispassionate spectator. Mr. Lightowler evidently had made up his mind to be as offensive as possible afternoon mr Umpage. he began i think i've had the pleasure of seeing this bird of yours before he's good enough to come in odd times and assist my gardener you'll excuse me for making the remark however but when he's like this i think he ought to be kept indoors this is disgraceful sir the other gentleman retorted galled by this irony disgraceful it's not pretty in a gander i must say agreed uncle solomon willfully misunderstanding does it often forget itself in this way now poor dear goose chanted the little girl reappearing at this juncture it's so giddy is it ill God pa? run away dolly said mr humpage it's no sight for you run away then frisk mustn't look either come away frisk and dolly vanished again when she had gone "'the old gentleman said, with a dangerous smile that showed all his teeth. "'Now, Mr. Lightowler, I think I'm indebted to you for the abominable treatment of this bird.' "'Somebody's been treating it. It's very plain,' said the other, looking at the bird, which was making a feeble attempt to spread out its wings and screech contemptuously at the universe. "'You're equivocating, sir. Do you think I can't see that poison has been laid in your grounds for this unhappy bird?' it's happy enough don't you be uneasy mr Umpage. there's been no worse poison given to it than some of my old Glen Livet," said mr lightowler and let me tell you it's not every man let alone every gander as gets the luck to taste that my gardener must have laid some of it down for-for agricultural purposes and your bird coming in through the ole as you may perhaps remember i've spoken to you about before has been making a little too free with it that's all it's welcome as the flower's in may to it only don't blame me if your bird is laid up with bad headache by and by not that there's an headache in the whole cask at this point mark could not resist a glance at the fair face across the fence in spite of her feminine compassion for the bird and respect for its proprietor mabel had not been able to overcome a sense of the absurdity of the scene and the two angry old gentlemen wrangling across the fence over an intoxicated gander the face mark saw was rippling with subdued amusement and her dark grey eyes met his for an instant with an electric flash of understanding then she turned away with a slight increase of colour in her cheeks i'm going in uncle Antony, she said do come too as soon as you can don't quarrel about it any more ask them to give you back your poor goose and i'll take it into the yard again it ought to go at once let me manage it my own way said mr humpage testily may i trouble you mr lightowler to kindly hand me over that bird when you have quite finished with it he added that bird has been taking such a fancy to my manure-heap that i'll ask to be excused said mr lightowler if you wish to whistle to it now i might edit it through the hole but it always finds it a good deal easier to come through than it does to come back even when it's sober i'm afraid you'll have to wait till it comes round a bit at this the gander lurched against a half-buried flower-pot and rolled helplessly over with its eyes closed oh the poor thing cried mabel it's dying you see that demanded its owner furiously "'It's dying, and you've had it poisoned, sir. "'That soaked bread was put there by you, or your orders, "'and by the Lord you shall pay for it.' "'I never ordered or put it there, either,' said his enemy doggedly. "'We shall see about that. We shall see,' said Mr. Humpage. "'You can say that by and by.' "'It's no good losing your temper now. Keep cool, can't you?' roared Uncle Solomon it's likely to make a man cool isn't it to come for a quiet stroll on sunday afternoon to find that his gander has been decoyed into a neighbour's garden and induced to poison itself with whisky decoyed i like that pretty innocent that bird of yours too timid to come in without a regular invitation wasn't he jeered mr lightowler quite apt to press him to step in and do the garden up a bit you and your gander Mabel had already escaped. Mark remained trying to persuade his uncle to come away, before the matter ceased to be farcical. "'I shall take the matter up, sir, I shall take it up,' said Mr Humpage, in a white rage. "'And I don't think it will do you credit as a churchwarden, let me tell you.' "'Don't you go bringing that in here now,' retorted Uncle Solomon. "'I'll not be spoken to as a churchwarden by you, Mr Umpage, sir, of all parties.' "'You'll not be spoken to by anybody very soon—at any rate, as a churchwarden. "'I mean to bring this affair before the magistrates. "'I shall take out a summons against you for unlawfully ill-treating and abusing my gander, sir.' "'I tell you I never ill-treated him. For, "'As for abuse, I don't say. That's neither here nor there. "'He ain't so thin-skinned as all that, your gander ain't. "'And if I choose to put whisky or brandy or champagne-cup about my grounds— "'I'm not obliged to consult your ridiculous gander, I do hope. "'I didn't ask him to sample them. "'I don't care a brass button for your summonses. "'You can summon me till you're black in the face.' "'But in spite of these brave words, "'Mr Lightowler was really not a little alarmed by the threat. "'We shall see about that,' said the other again, viciously. "'And now, once more, will you give me back my poor bird?' mark thought it had gone far enough he took up the heavy bird which made some maudlin objections and carried it gingerly to the fence here's the victim mr humpage he said lightly i think it will be itself again in a couple of hours or so and now perhaps we can let the matter drop for the present the old gentleman glared at mark as he received his bird i don't know who you may be young sir or what share you've had in this disgraceful business "'If I trace it to you, you shall repent of it, I promise you. "'I don't wish to have any further communication with you or your friend, "'who's old enough to know his duty better, as a neighbour and a Christian. "'You will let him know, with my compliments, that he'll hear more of this.' He retired with the outraged bird under his arm, leaving Uncle Solomon, who had, of course, heard his parting words, looking rather ruefully at his nephew. "'It's all very well for you to laugh,' he said to mark as they turned to go into the house again but let me tell you if that hot-tempered old idiot goes and brings all this up at petty sessions it may be an awkward affair for me he's been a lawyer has Umpage, and he'll do his worst a pretty thing to have my name in all the papers about here as torturing a goose i say they'll try and make out that i poured the whisky down the brute's throat it's wilcox's doings and none of mine and they'll put it all on me I'll drive over to Greenham Ferrets tomorrow and see how I stand. You've studied the law. What do you think about it? Come, can he touch me, hey? But he hasn't got a leg to stand on, like his gander. It's all nonsense, ain't it? If there had ever been a chance, Mark thought bitterly, after comforting his uncle, as well as his very moderate acquaintance with the law permitted, of anything like intimacy between himself and the girl whose face had fascinated him so strangely, it was gone now. That bird of evil omen had balked his hopes as effectually as its ancestors frustrated the aspiring Gaul. The dusk was drawing on as they walked across the lawn, from which the russet glow of the sunset had almost faded. The commonplace villa before them was tinted with violet, and in the west the hedges and trees formed an intricate silhouette against a background of ruddy gold and pale lemon. One or two flamingo-coloured clouds still floated languidly higher up in a greenish-blue sky. Over everything, the peace and calm had settled that marked the close of a perfect autumn day, with the additional stillness which always makes itself perceptible on a Sunday. Mark felt the influence of it all, and was vaguely comforted. He remembered the passing interchange of glances across the fence, and it consoled him. "'At supper that evening his uncle, too, recovered his spirits. "'If he brings a summons, they'll dismiss it,' he said confidently. "'But he knows better than that as a lawyer, "'and if he does, he'll find the laugh turned against him, eh? "'I'm not answerable for what Wilcox chooses to do without my orders. "'I never told him he wasn't to, "'but that ain't like telling him to go and do it, is it, now? "'And where's the cruelty, either? "'A blend like that, too. "'Just try a glass now and say what you think.' you will be dropping in for more of it if he's the bird i take him for but as they were going upstairs to bed he stopped at the head of the staircase and said to mark before i forget it you remind me to get wilcox to find out quietly the first thing to-morrow how that gander is End of chapter five